Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right. Uh, last week, uh, just a quick, very, very fast recap. We started talking about understanding your enemy. Uh, this week, I had, <laughs> oh goodness, did I ever have a wrestling match with writing this message? Uh, thought it was done, sent the translators the, the rough draft yesterday at around three or four. And then somewhere around 5.30 or 6, I was asking for prayer, and I felt very, very dissatisfied. And, uh, and I felt really that the Lord wanted to, to refine it. And I actually felt very distracted at the same time, which was encouraging. I thought, oh, we must be hitting on some of the buttons of the enemy if he's working so hard to try to keep me from t- getting up here and speaking. So anyways, rewrote a bunch for this morning, and I'm very excited to get going. And I think I actually have part two and part three already. So <laughs> when I preach next, I'm, I'm looking forward to having a bit of a lighter load that week. Anyways... Last week, we started looking at the importance of understanding your enemy. Now, I said something at the beginning of last week that I'm going to repeat today, and it's very important. I believe most of our time should be spent beholding the beauty of Jesus. We are made to know him and to make him known to others, and I think most of our time should be spent doing that. And I I don't just mean getting into the Word, although I do mean diving into the word and knowing it for yourself, especially if you want to protect yourself against this uh, deception and know him for who he is. But with your whole life, using your whole life to get to know Jesus, to, to not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. I actually think that's where our time should be spent. However, we're told that we're in a spiritual battle whether we like it or not. Amen? That's what we looked at last week. Whether we like it or not, we're in this spiritual battle. So if we're in the battle, then we should learn how to stand firm against the strategies and tricks of the the enemy so we're not easily deceived and and swept away. So I I stand by that. Last week, uh, we looked at three points. One, who our enemy was not. And we said our enemy is not who? People. Amen. Our enemy is not people. Though people may hurt us and mistreat us and wrong us, we'll talk about that a little later today, uh, people aren't the enemy. We have two enemies, an outward one, that's the devil and his demons. That's an outward one, that's what we're told in Scripture. Jesus believed in it, we should believe in it. It's real. And then we have an inward enemy, and that is our own flesh, weakened by our sin nature. So those are the two, ba- uh, the, the two fronts that we're fighting against. And we looked at this um, uh, picture of the fly in the house, and it'll come up momentarily here. Uh, and, nope, that wasn't it. I had it. There it is. You guys remember this? And uh, essentially here, the idea was the enemy tries to get into, if your house is your life, the enemy looks for any way to get a foothold into your life, for a hole in the screen. And if he can get a foothold in, and you don't deal with that foothold, he wants to worm his way in and build a stronghold. And we looked at uh, multiple examples of how he does that. I want it to be clear, though, on one thing, and that is how he gets into our lives. Because many times people will say things like, the devil made me do it, or people did this to me, and that's why I'm stuck, or the culture I grew up in. That's a common one you hear, depending on which culture you're in. Then you either are doomed, or you're promised success. And I want to be very clear on something. Those things, though they do matter and they do make a difference in our lives, absolutely yes, they they affect us. For the enemy to get a foothold in your life, though, there is only one way that he can do it. Sin. That's it. You have a choice to make, and nobody can make you sin. It doesn't matter what you're born into. It doesn't matter where you're born. It doesn't matter your experiences. And I'm not saying that they're not legitimate experiences. I'm not saying that. Your hurts can be totally legitimate and real, 
but our response to those hurts, that can be sinful or not sinful, and that's what we're talking about. It's sin. Sin is the only way he can get into that house that's not there that I pointed at. <clears throat> and by the way, we, we dealt with sin at the prayer summit this last Wednesday. That was awesome. It was so good to have you guys here. Um, and just to go through a mini set free. If you missed it, Sorry, it's all good. You can come to the next prayer summit. We probably won't do that. But we do have a, uh, a set free coming at the end of November. And if, you know, today we're going to be talking about offense and lies. Um, but I really think if you're feeling that nudge from the Holy Spirit, consider signing up for the set free at the end of the month on November. So that's two, basically two months from now. Okay. Moving forward here. Now, how does the enemy get us to sin? Temptation. Obvious. We talked about that last week, right? Temptation. He tempts us. Totally. He totally tempts us. Remember what we looked at with James? James 1. It says, let no one uh, say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So temptation can come from the devil, but we're actually only lured and enticed by our own desire. When we give in to those desires, that's when we have sin. But today, you know, I, I wanna, we want to look at more of the specifics of how he tempts us, why it works. You know, in the same way that we could say, you know, if we were going like an actual battleship into, into battle, uh, we would want to know the specifics of the strategies of our enemy. I mean, there, there's the broad statements that we know are true, like, well, the enemy wants to attack us, and that's how he wins. Yeah, that's how most wars are, are fought and won or lost. Someone attacks, someone defends, someone wins and loses. Absolutely yes. But if you want to be able to stand firm effectively, we would want to know a little bit more on the specifics. What are the main strategies? Especially if you have an army that's been effective. And I don't want to give the enemy too much credit, but I also don't want to take too much credit away in, in one sense, and that is we have to be able to, we have to admit looking at our world and looking at our own lives if we're honest, that his strategies are rather effective. They are. We see people stuck in bondage. We're sometimes stuck there. We see, we, we see governments that are controlled by demonic forces. We see all sorts of evil in the world. And so we know his strategies are effective. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Now, I just want to give one caution before we get into the um, actual points there, and that is, we err if we have too much confidence in our own intelligence and strength to resist them. Uh, when I get into part three, we want to talk about some of the main lies and deceptions the enemy uses, and in there I want to I really hit this point, but I wanted to say it here because I think sometimes we actually enter into spiritual warfare with an overconfidence. Now you might say, shouldn't we have confidence in the Lord? Amen. In the Lord. But I think too often we have too much confidence in ourselves. I don't have to watch what I'm watching on TV. Like, what, why does it actually matter? It's not that bad. We, we justify, we compromise. I'm not going to be affected by that. We think we're totally in control over what we believe and how we respond in all sorts of areas. And not only does Scripture not agree with us, even science doesn't agree with us on that. You get into ruts and we're way more influenced by external and internal pressures than we often like to realize or admit. And so we have to be careful on that, right? So we err if we have too much confidence in our own strength. There's this other idea that, you know, over time, over, his, over human time, right, people have gotten so much smarter and we're so inherently good that we can just trust in the goodness of people. It'll prevail, right? 
Just wanted to put a little, drop a little lure on that one, and we'll, we'll hit that in part three. Because I do want to come back to that, but I do want to look at one scripture together on it. Now these things happen to them as an example. What's Paul talking about? What things? Well, if you look before this, and you can always, I encourage you to always write down the passages and read the before and after. Get the full context. Um, but if you read right before here, he's talking about the Israelites uh, coming out of, the, out of captivity in Egypt and how they drank from the rock, which Paul says was Christ Jesus. Christ was the one who led the Israel, Israelites out of Egypt. That's what Paul says. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Anyhow, a couple of notes that I shouldn't really spend time on, but just it's interesting how Paul thought the Old Testament wasn't canceled by the New Testament he was, that he was writing. He actually believed you had the Older Testament and you had the Newer Testament. It was just a continuation. That's not the point, though. point is, now these things happened as an example. He talked about how Christ was the one who led them out of captivity into freedom, and then he talked about how they fell into idolatry and grumbling and sin and complaining and all of this other stuff uh, and it, that's where he goes, and how they, lost, uh, how, how they lost out and missed out, and how they suffered because of it. That's when he picks up and says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't be overconfident in your own ability to stand against the devil, that ancient serpent who has been around for a, a lot longer than you or I. He has been effectively deceiving humanity since the first humans walked the earth. But take heart. We follow the one who's overcome the world. And we win in the end. And he's given us strategies. And that's exactly what it says here. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to endure. But will also provide the way of escape that you can endure it. Now, I wish I had time to go on another lie here. Oh, I want to so bad. No, I can't. We'll come back to it. Part three. That's what I said, part three. I had two messages in one yesterday. Now we're sticking with one. <laughs> All right, so let's take a look. We're going to use the example of, uh, of, of fishing, but uh, I want to take a look at, yeah, okay, fishing. So I don't really know much about fishing, I know, although I've always wanted to fish. And uh, my, my dad knew that when I was younger, and he doesn't know how to fish. I always wanted to fish and hunt. It was like the greatest thing. Hunting, I now do. I can't wait. It's coming up. <clears throat> fishing, though, I still don't know what I'm doing. And my dad would take me fishing, and somehow the grace of God, I'd be the only one that would ever catch anything. It'd be like one little dinky fish like that. And uh, anyways, but we're not very good at it. Why aren't we good at it? I mean, what, how hard can it be? Lure or worm or whatever it is, you throw it in with a hook and you just wait and fish come, right? Well, there's, there's more of a strategy to it. There's a skill. That's why some people are better at it than others. That's why I apparently am terrible at it because I don't know that strategy. I'm hoping, I would just, you know, you go by the river or the lake and you just kind of hope they jump out of the water, right? They just jump in, and then you can eat them, because I love eating what I kill. Anyways, that's a whole other story. Some of you are offended by that. Don't be offended. We're talking about offense today. We'll get on to that in a moment. The point is... <laughs> sorry. sorry. I love you all, and I hope you love me too. But um, the point is going to that fishing thing. If it, first, if you're going to be a good fisherman, you have to know what you're fishing for, where those fish congregate, right? Like, where are they going to be? Uh, you have to know what kind of lures do they respond to best. And then there's even strategy on how you reel in your lures so that you mimic the food that they're used to eating. 
I, I don't know the answer to any of those if you're asking me about fishing, but I know that those are things that you have to be able to answer if you want to be good. In the same way, that's what the enemy does with us. See, that's why we have this overconfidence. Oh, I would never bite a lure from the enemy. Right? He says, bow down and worship him. I would say, absolutely not. I'd be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? I'd say, no, I'm not going to worship a false god. Absolutely not. But the enemy comes, for the most part, masquerading as an angel of light. So he looks like a food source that we like, that we're used to, that's safe. And it's, it's only once we bite in that we realize we're trapped, and often it feels like it's too late by that time. So I want to keep that picture in your mind as we move forward now and look at <laughs> what are the enemy's best lures, right? And uh, what is he using to try to get us? And we're going to look at hurts, lies, and offense. Now he's the father of lies. Jesus called him that in John. And then he said that he lies out of his nature. And we see lies are his main strategy. But we're going to use another analogy. I like pictures and analogies to try to help us get truths. We've talked about fishing and strategies there. Now we'll use the seed in the soil as well. There's also the seed in the soil, right? Remember Jesus talked about having the right uh, soil of our hearts? Well, the enemy also has preferred soil to plant his seeds in, and his seeds are deception. That's what we're going to look at. First one that we're looking at, and this is all we're really going to have time for today, and that is the soil hurts and wounds. He loves the soil of the heart that is found when you are hurt, wounded, and vulnerable. He loves it. It is the most fertile soil for him to plant lies into. And one of the chief lies that he's going to try to get you on with hurts and wounds is, is obvious, you'll see it up there, lies offense and bitterness. Right? You have hurts and wounds, we have our vulnerabilities, and then we have offense and bitterness. Now remember Peter's warning, and he said the de uh, devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour? Lions look for what? The weak and the vulnerable. They're easy prey. Now, it doesn't mean that a lion can't go for someone that's stronger. Absolutely, he can, but he has less of a chance. So they typically go for the weak and the vulnerable. And that's what I'm getting at with, with this picture of seed and soil. I'm not saying that the enemy will only ever lie to you if you have hurts and wounds. No, it's not quite that simple. He'll lie to all of us all the time. That's what he does. It's his nature. It's the nature of the battle that we're in is one of truth and deception. However... I am saying that his preferred soil is, is the fertile soil of our heart would be when we're wounded, hurt, and we have unresolved pain. Nothing makes humans more vulnerable than pain when we hurt. Think about rejection. Have you been rejected? Just think about some of the close relationships that you have. Have you ever perceived someone as rejecting you? even on like a, maybe it's a spouse or a friend or a parent, and you perceive that what they're saying, they're rejecting you, how does that make you feel? Does that make you feel strong and close to the Lord and wanting to respond in love? No, we feel isolated and alone. We get angry, we feel sad. We feel hopeless, we feel a whole host of different things, and then usually it, it results in us trying to defend ourselves. We don't wanna feel that way. We're vulnerable there. We don't want to stay there when we're abandoned. Those are bad spots to be in. Uh, we'll look at the story of Judas, um, and I'll kind of bounce back and forth a bit with Matthew and John, because if you look at the story of Judas and Mary, I won't go, have time to go through all of it, but uh, you get to see a lot 
more of a complete picture when you look at all the Gospels together telling the same stories. So if you've never done that kind of exercise, I'd encourage you to do it. I know some Bibles actually come like that. You can see Bible plans that'll carry you through chronologically. It's wonderful, you get all the pieces. I'll, I'll put some of the pieces together. So John 11, we have Mary. So you have Mary and Judas. I'm gonna contrast those two. And Mary in John 11, you have the Lazarus is sick and they go and tell, you know, Lazarus is sick, would you come and heal him? Jesus intentionally delays coming. I probably shouldn't say this because I've done it more to her, but my wife is here. Um, I remember uh, probably, I don't know how many months ago it was, but waiting for a ride for her and she was delayed. And you know where my mind went to? Intentionally delayed to spite. That's what, I, that's what I'm weighing in my heart. Aren't we petty creatures? Like this is my wife who has put up with all my stuff that you guys have heard about. And she's going to intentionally try to get me by making me wait a little bit longer, five minutes. Anyways, that's just what the human beings are. That's a small thing. Imagine how they felt, though. Jesus has the power to save. You've seen him heal people. He loves Lazarus. He loves you. He says he's going to come, and he just intentionally delays. How would they have felt? And yet he delays long enough that Lazarus is not only dead, but he's good and dead. Or as Princess Bride would say, he's all the way dead. Not, <laughs> I don't know if I can quote that here. <laughs> I want to watch that movie later on today. But uh, <laughs> it's been a while. But he waits till he's good and dead, all the way dead, so that he can come and the Father can get glory through him raising him uh, back to life. But Mary and Martha don't know that. He didn't think to tell them the plan. Think about the, you know, you're waiting for your spouse to pick you up, and they didn't tell you that they actually have to go to the store first, and then they're coming. Then you're annoyed, right? You're indignant. Well, you should have told me that first, <laughs> right? Because we would never do that, of course. But Jesus doesn't tell them the plan. He says, sure, I'll come, and then he just intentionally delays. So you move forward a little bit, and Mary and Martha come to him. Martha, they're both hurting. Jesus, John eleven thirty five. 35, we get the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus weeps with his friends. And then he goes and raises Lazarus back to life. And if you go one chapter further, and that's why I'm going to hit the John one first, because John tells you who the person is. If you go to Matthew, Matthew tells of the story of a woman who breaks this expensive ointment of, of perfume and nard over Jesus' uh, body, and he anoint, she anoints him and then wipes his feet with her hair, right? John tells you who that is. It's Mary. It's Mary. The Mary that sits at Jesus' feet. The Mary who loves him. Let's pick up in this part I will quote. And because Judas is indignant, so Mary goes and takes what's probably her dowry. They figure it might be worth around $50,000 or whatever it is, but it's very important for a woman in the Middle East at this, uh, this time in history to have a dowry because you needed a man to live the way society was set up. And she takes that worth about 50000 and she just leaves it all at Jesus' feet. And she does this beautiful thing on anointing his body. Spends her whole savings on Jesus. What a beautiful picture of what we're supposed to do with our lives. Amen? Lay it all down. It doesn't make sense. You need to hold on to some of it, right? Hold on to some of it just in case. Mary didn't follow conventional wisdom. 
She breaks it all, and Judas is indignant. Look what Judas says here. I like this. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about poor, but because he was a thief. He was skimming money off the top. No one here would ever do that, right? No one here would ever cheat on taxes or skim money off the top. We would never do something like that. Judas did something like that. And look at Jesus' response. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial, for the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So we see this. So now you have Judas, who's a thief. He's skimming money off the top, and he's rebuking Mary for doing this beautiful thing that, according to human wisdom, was a, a dumb thing to do. No financial planner would advise doing that. Mary does it anyways. Judas rebukes her. Jesus, in turn, rebukes Judas. So what happens next? Let's flip to Matthew. We'll find out. It says, then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, says then. So then is immediately following after this. Immediately following Judas being rebuked by Jesus publicly in front of his friends. It says, then Judas went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. Judas shows us compromise, skimming money. There's unrepentant sin already there. Then Judas gets hurt. Doesn't say specifically that he was offended, but we see him get hurt. He gets rebuked, and immediately after the rebuke, does it sound like he's angry? Whatever he felt, it was strong enough to have him go and turn over and betray his best friend and teacher. I don't want to make a case off of one story that doesn't specifically say that's what that motivated it. I'm just drawing the conclusions on what you see when you read that story out. So let's look at what some, some other areas of Scripture say about the dangers of offense and what it can actually do. Let's go to one of our favorite end times passages, Matthew 24. Jesus is talking about what's going to come in the end. Here specifically, he's talking about believers. Read the context. Go there for yourself. He's talking about believers. Now, it can include people that are not believers, but he is specifically talking to believers here, and we'll see clues on that in a moment. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There you get a bit of a clue, and if you read the whole context, you'll see that he's talking to believers and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony, and then the end will come. Now, the, uh, the word fall away, because fall away is already scary, and you can see betray one another and hate one another, but that word fall away is scandalizo. And the definition can be interpreted in multiple different ways. Tempt to sin, that's one. Fall away is one, and it's used in all of these different contexts within Scripture, same word, Okay? Um, stumbling block is another one. To judge someone unjustly is another one. And then to ma uh, make to offend or to offend. So you could say this passage says many will be offended and betray one another. And that fits with what comes next. Many will be offended. They will fall away. They will betray one another and hate one another. And then false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Then there's the hope, but the one who endures to the end, it's not, you are not doomed to destruction, you have a choice. 
Offense will come. Luke 17 says that, right? Offense will come. Temptation will come. Stumbling blocks will come. But you have a choice. I have a choice. We have a choice. The one who endures to the end will be saved. But here we see the heed the warning. This is the warning of Matthew 24, just in those couple of verses here. And the warning is clear. Many, believers included, will be offended and fall away. This is what's coming in the end. That's why this idea of checking our hearts and dealing with offense and taking it seriously, and we're going to talk a little bit more, uh, we're going to go even deeper in just a moment. This is why it's critical that we talk about this. We have to change the way we think about offense and bitterness. It's not the cute sin that's kind of okay. We have to see it and its deadly nature and what it's doing and what Scripture says about it. It says many, they will turn on each other, so we see that hate, their love grows cold, sin will abound, lawlessness increases, and then it says they will be deceived, easy, false prophets will arise and deceive them. And that's actually a pattern we see very, very clearly, and even, again, when we talk about things like addiction, right? But addiction we see where, like, they've done lots of, of research on there on how you find freedom. The reason why it's so hard is it's not just a usual, it's not just a pattern in your life. It's not just a bad habit. It's a bad habit that you've learned that your brain goes to as a way to medicate pain. And the number one kind of pain that your brain wants to medicate is attachment pain. It's relational pain, wounds, unresolved hurts. Which we often can call offense or bitterness, unresolved hurts. They sit there and they fester. Hebrew says, don't let a bitter root grow in by many, and by which many have become defiled. So we know it's dangerous. And that's exactly what this is talking about. So there's deception in that, right? It starts with wounds, and then suddenly you have this addictive behavior, which is what? A lie. You actually think that this addictive, destructive behavior is going to somehow make you better. And it won't. You've been deceived. That's the pattern that we see exactly in Matthew 24. That's the pattern. Offense comes if it's undealt with. Deception is easily planted in the soil of offense. But we always have a choice. Always. Nobody can do anything to you to make you sin. The only way the enemy gets a foothold in your life is sin. No one can make you sin. Ever. And you might say, but you don't know. You're standing up there. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've suffered. You're right. I haven't walked your shoes. But Jesus has. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to feel so much anxiety that he bleeds drops of blood out of his sweat glands. He knows what it feels like to be abused and rejected and humiliated. And yet scripture says he remained without sin. He's our perfect high priest because he's gone through it all. And so yeah, I don't know exactly what you're going through but when scripture says you have a choice, then I believe the word at its, at its word. Amen? Matthew 18, let's go and do a little bit more. Here we get a, a picture. If you want to read the whole thing, we don't have time to go through the whole thing, but 21 minutes, eh? Oh, yeah. And whatever we don't finish, we'll just pick up on in part three and we'll just keep going. Maybe it'll be two more parts. I don't know. However long it takes. 
then we'll get through this because it's, it's critical that we get it. One of the biggest strategies Matthew 24 says is coming in the end is offense. The enemy is going to seek to offend you. He wants you offended so he can deceive you. So that you can fall away. If he can maybe, if, if, you know, if either you're going to just have cold love and you'll just be an unfruitful Christian or maybe he can get you so wrapped up in his clutches that he can get you to fall away. That's what scripture teaches. That's what it warns us on. Anyhow, this story here is a little bit different. This is that whole story of the king who forgave the large debt. Remember the, 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 the servant had a large debt and the king says, I'm, I'm calling in accounts. Time to pay up, right? Time to put up. You got to put up the rent. Time, time to pay up. And the servant falls on his knees before the king and he says, oh, king, I can't pay. It's us. Oh, king, we can't pay. We don't know how to right all the wrongs we've done. We don't have that ability. It's true. And the king, in his gracious nature, forgives the debt entirely. Incredible story. And then it says that same servant gets up off his knees and he walks out and he finds another servant who owed him a much smaller debt and he goes and refuses to forgive despite that same, that, that, that other servant also getting on his knees and imploring that, that, that servant who'd been forgiven, imploring him now, would you also forgive me? That servant refuses, king gets involved, brings him over there, calls him a wicked, a wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you. And in his anger, he delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And now I, I love the last verse because in most of his parables, you're left with a bit of like, you know, how are you going to you know, discern what this exactly means, right? Like you get an idea. On this one, he doesn't want you missing out. Just in case the message might be lost in translation, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This idea of forgiveness and offense and bitterness is not a small little compromising idea found within Scripture. It is repeated over and over and over again throughout Jesus' teachings. You, talk, you hear him talking about the, the dangers of offense and bitterness and his command to each one of us to forgive. And here he says, forgive from the heart. What would that look like? Well, we don't have time to go through all the passages, but it looks like this. It's not, I forgive you quietly. I forgive them while I sit there and brood on the offense internally. It's not that. It's the kind of forgiveness that is an action. It's something you do. Where you pray for those who persecute you. You love your enemies. We'll talk about that more at the end of the message. Don't take the bait. It's his lure. He's looking for hurts and wounds. You are going to be hurt and wounded. By the way, is there anyone in here that's ever been hurt? Don't take the bait. And please tell the same to me. Let's love each other enough to care for each other when we're hurting, to cry, to weep when others weep. But then love each other enough to not let us sit in offense and bitterness. That's a choice. Hurts and wounds will happen to all of us. That is legitimate. It happens to all of us. Everyone gets hurt. Bitterness and offense is a choice. And you might say, it's not a choice. Well, I'll tell you why you think it's not. 
Because that's a lie. That's lie number one. There's a whole bunch. We don't have time to get into all of them. But that's lie number one on how he's keeping you stuck right now. Because you think being offended and bitter is the same as being hurt. You might think, I don't believe that. I think a lot of us must believe that. And I'll tell you why. Think about this. If I, this is very clear for those online. Very, I, have, I have not had an affair on my wife. Okay. If I had an affair, I would lose my job. Would you think that's right? That makes sense. Now, you wouldn't want me to just go to hell and burn for it and be cast out forever. You'd probably want me to be put on a path of restoration. I probably wouldn't get this job back. But it's not like my whole life would be over, like we'd try to repair. But no way would any of you stand for me being in an affair. Neither should you. And those around me, I have, oh, I wish everyone had the kind of people that I have around me in their life. I got a really good group. But there is not a chance that they would let me sit in that. Not a chance. It would be intervention city all over me and my wife and our family. Because it is so destructive, isn't it? The way adulterous affairs, the, the way they destroy families and people. But then it comes to offense or bitterness, and we don't say a single word. It's like sexual immorality, bad. We better stand against it. Every kind, right? Our world, they're becoming so sexually immoral, and we're so, ooh, up against that. We're worried and we're afraid what it's going to do to the church. What about bitterness? What is that doing to the church? Matthew 24 says it's going to do so much to the church, it's going to lead to a great falling away. I'm not minimizing sexual immorality, but you notice how that's not what leads people to fall away. I'm not minimizing it. I'm not trying to swing the pendulum the other way. I'm trying to say, we should take this seriously and we should take bitterness seriously. And you might say, yeah, but someone's been hurt. It's legitimate. Yes, that's what I'm getting at. Hurts and wounds will happen. They're real. They're legitimate. We, we weep with those who weep. That's what Romans 12 says. We weep. We love. Jesus, Romans is just repeating what Jesus did in John 11. His friends were weeping. He didn't jump in to try to fix the situation. He just wept. We should do that with people around us. Be a human being, have compassion. But then love people enough. That's one of our prayer requests that we would learn to stand in truth and love, right? Truth and love, that we would stand together. Truth and love says we love people enough to say, hey, like, I think there's some unresolved hurt there. Like, every time you bring this up, you're just rehearsing the same thing over and over again. And I feel like you always have that negative bite. And just ask, like, are you still hurting on the inside? Can I pray with you? You know, you could ask my friendship group, and they would tell you, well, I don't know if they would know how many times, but I can think of two distinct times in the last year where I have begged them, if you notice any offense or bitterness in me, any of it, even a little bit, if I talk about people and don't bring it back to prayer or don't always show the graceful side of it, call me on it. Love me enough not to let me sit in something that could destroy me and destroy my family. 
Matthew 6, 9 to 15. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. Right? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father, talking to believers, forgive you your trespasses. I didn't add that. Go and look at your Bible translation. It's not like, what, what translation are you using? That's, ugh. This is a big deal to Jesus. And yet we know he's your great high priest that will sympathize and have compassion on you in your weakness. But he does not tolerate bitterness amongst God's people. It is not proper for us in this house. It will stamp out your love faster than anything else. So let's look at two main areas. Sorry, I keep looking at my time because I'm certainly not going to make it through everything. That's okay. We'll just come back to it. This is big enough that we don't need to rush. Amen? Speaking of not rushing. That was very good. <laughs> Sorry. Don't be offended. <laughs> Sorry. It'll be my thing now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Two main areas to watch for offense. And there's more than this. I'm just trying to help us kind of see this. And we're going to look at recognizing offense and dealing with offense and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. But two main areas that we've got to look for, okay? Uh, the first one is going to be wrongs done to us. All right. This is real. Hurts, rejection, abuse, abandonment, humiliation, insults, persecution, mistreatment. Absolutely, yes. Remember, though, because you might say, I see, you don't know what I've been through. I have, I have met with... Uh, people who have been abused, who have grown up in system, systematic abuse. We're talking sexual and spiritual and physical and emotional. The whole thing, systematically, from early till, till they were older and moved out. I don't even have an, an idea of what that would be like. As I've said before, I, I know what it's like to have parents that took the time to get into my world, that loved me the way I was. That's my experience. So I don't know what that's like. But I do know the dangers of offense and bitterness. And I do know that Jesus stands ready to help you forgive and to choose the better path over being bitter. 1 Corinthians 10, that's exactly what we looked at before. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. Now put this in context with offense. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to endure, not in yourself, because <laughs> then he goes on to explain, but with the temptation, he will also provide for you the way of escape so that you can endure it. Sounds like Matthew 24, but those who endure to the end will be, sa will be saved. Paul in Corinthians says he'll provide the way of escape so you can endure it. We are to endure. Church, I know that's not always an easy message. But the call for the saints is one of endurance and perseverance. That's our call. I've told this story before, but I'll share it again. Uh, my Walkman that got stolen. A Discman, actually. I was past Walkmans. Although I did have Walkmans when I was younger. Yep, I'm that old. 
Some of you are like, what's a Walkman with a cassette tape? What's a cassette tape? This side over here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. I love you all. <laughs> You're not allowed to call me old. <clears throat> Anyways, I had a Discman. I'm in grade 10 or 11, whatever it was, and I uh, had this Sony Discman that I loved. Like, it was one of those shock absorber ones. Remember when we used to have to worry about that because, like, CDs skipped? I'm like, what's that? Is that like when you lose connection on the internet? No, it's not quite like that. <laughs> it's way worse. Anyways. I had this thing and I loved it. It was white with a nice armband and I used it to run and it was just great. And I was out in the smoking section at the SRSS and put it down and I'm sitting there and suddenly it's gone. Suddenly it's gone. And I couldn't find it. I was panicked. You know what it's like when you, when you lose something that's valuable to you and you're panicking, you're looking around, you're looking around, you're looking around, and then suddenly you see it? And there's the, the group of the popular grade 12 kids that were kind of ruling the roost. They're standing in a circle a little off to the side. And the ringleader, the ringleader, he's not a ringleader. I actually know who he is, and I would never tell you who he is, so don't even bother asking, because there is not even an ounce of, of offense in here left. There's not. And I only want good things for them. That's why I would never tell you who it was. But anyways, he's holding it in his hands. And I instantly feel flushed and red. I haven't even talked to them yet. But I know that they know, and I know what's going on, and I have to make a decision. Do you go over there and talk to them? Do you just kind of tuck tail and cut your losses? And so I walked over there, and I asked for my Discman back, and they refused. They said it was theirs, and I said, no, it's mine. I can see that it's mine. Had my bad CD in there. I'm not going to tell you what CD that was either. <laughs> Encourage you to listen to the devil's music. <laughs> no. <laughs> Anyways, that's not part of the story. Back to the story, though. I asked for it back. They said no. I said, please. They said, no. I was beet red and trembling. You know that feeling when you have, you're just sitting there and you're shaking and you're beet red? You're so humiliated. You feel so small and insignificant, like you just want to hide, but you can't. And then he says, oh, I see you have a wallet. How much money do you have in there? I'm like, I don't got any money. Let me see. So I opened it up and I had, I think it was like 40 bucks. He said, I'll sell it to you for 40 bucks. And he made me buy my Discman back for 40 bucks. For years, when I would go back to that story, I wished ill on him. And everyone who stood around laughing. And that story is this big compared to some of the things you guys have experienced. I'm not saying it's easy to not be bitter. But I'm saying it's a trap and a lie from the devil himself to keep you stuck where you are and stuck in your pain and sin. Wrongs done to us. Perceived wrongs done to us. Oh, I'll go through here a little bit faster. What about things, good things we missed out on, neglect? Maybe you hear stories of, of, I had parents that got down and played Lego with me and made space for me and they loved me. And it makes you think of your own parents and how they were too busy or too distracted or too caught up in their own thing. And they didn't give you that. And so offense grows that way. That's what I mean by good things that you missed out on neglect. And it might not even be intentional, but it happened nonetheless. It's real. Maybe it's your spouse. You're, this happened to me and Lou uh, earlier on in the marriage. <laughs> We've had other things we worked on too, but... Uh, I, I'm words of affirmation. She's acts of service, if you know the love languages. Right, the five love languages? Well, I didn't get that in the beginning. All I knew is, you don't say anything kind to me. You must not love me. And here she is, 
tirelessly serving me all the time, doing things for me all the time, and I didn't see any of it. It was like it didn't exist. And not that I didn't, I was grateful. Oh yeah, that's nice that you did that, but like why can't you encourage me? Because that's what love is, right? Doesn't the Bible say that's the only way to love someone? No, no it doesn't. Actually, yeah, laying down your life for someone is actually the best description of love. Anyways, so there was perceived. That's what I mean by perceived. Sometimes it's real. They actually did miss out. Sometimes it's perceived and you, and you just didn't know better. You're, you're reading into things and you didn't see something. You were missing information. Okay? There's also, what about mind reading? If you're wondering, what, what am I talking about here? Being a psychic? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you know better than other people why a certain person did what they did. You know why they looked at you that way. You know why they didn't look at you. You know why they said this. You know why they did this. You know because you know better than they do even what's going on inside their heart. But scripture warns us very clearly, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounced, you too will be judged. So with this one I always say, pick your measure. You know what measure I pick? Grace. Because I need a lot of it. I'm banking on lots of grace when I stand before Jesus. So I want to give grace, <laughs> right? <laughs> Not read into other people's intentions. Sometimes you think, they did it because of this, and then they say, no, actually I didn't. I'm so sorry you took it that way. We have a choice to make. Are you going to say, oh, sorry, my bad. I forgive you. Or you harden your heart and say, absolutely not. You know better. Hmm. Man. Two pages left. That's okay. Sorry, I'm just kind of picking what I'm going to say here and what I won't. (laughs) We'll skip through all that. You know what? I'll come back to the steps. We can come back to it later. And I wanted to go over, um, because I do want to hit recognizing it. That's what I do want to get. Oh, you saw it for a second, it's gone. <laughs> See what I did there? Don't be offended. Um, <laughs> sorry. I'm going to trip over my own shoelace here. Uh, this is important. Oh, they adjusted, thanks, on the camera. <laughs> you got, they're on the ball back there. <laughs> okay, right path. I'm talking path here because you don't always know. This is the thing. You might say, I'm not offended. I don't hold bitterness. I dealt with that. I already forgave it. Don't trust yourself on those kind of assumptions. You know, the the nature of deception is you're deceived. You don't know it. Offense and bitterness is a trap. It's a deception of the devil himself. Okay, so you won't always know it. Sometimes you will, but we think offended and bitter. We think someone who's angry and I just, I want that person to suffer and die. And it's like outright like that. That happens sometimes. It does, where it's angry and loud. But most of the time, it isn't. Most of the time, it's couched in, yes, I forgive them. But your heart is completely cold and hard towards them. Because you've just internalized it, okay? So, right path. Can you feel the hurt and not get stuck? And the question is, can you feel the hurt? If you can't, we'll get on to that in a second. But if, can you feel the hurt and not get stuck? Do you show them grace? Are you praying for them actively? When you pray for them, what do you pray for them? How do you feel when you pray for them? 
When I pray for people or pray for situations and connect my heart to God's heart, you know what I feel without fail? Love. Sometimes it moves me to tears, it's so strong. You get that little glimpse of his heart. Do you genuinely feel God's heart towards them? Are you demonstrating your love? If so, how? I know it's not always appropriate, and we don't have time to get into that today. Would those around you say that you have forgiven them? Or, let's talk danger path, okay? Do you rehearse the offense inwardly or outwardly to others? Maybe you're trying to get allies on your side to see it your way. And you might say, but sometimes you have to talk about a situation. Oh, totally, I get that. Okay, so when you have to talk about it, because I, I mean that happens, especially, think about, that could happen in the workplace, it could happen at home, with families, lots of situations where you might have to talk about things, that's not always a bad thing. Are you bringing it back to prayer? Do you model showing grace with your words, that even when you talk about something hard, you also are helping everyone listening see the positive as well? Remember, this isn't saying that if these are like guaranteed rules. I'm talking pathways. Pathways. Do you speak negatively about them or positively? Do you get stuck when you think about what happened? Or do you feel nothing at all about what happened? You might say, yeah, that's me. Isn't that good? No, that's not good. That means you've probably repressed it. You know repressing things is not what forgiveness is about? It's not about repressing, forgiving from the heart. It's not about hiding feelings. Jesus didn't hide his feelings. He felt them but remained without sin. Okay? Do you feel nothing at all with what happened? What would those around you say? I asked that question in both cases. And that's where I'm going to really encourage us with the no time that we have left to at least do this. We can't get through all the steps. We'll get to it next time. Don't worry. But for now, would you consider inviting people? Because sometimes it's hard. And you know what? If you haven't been invited, to just go and call someone on something isn't always taken very well. You might cause more offense. But maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't want, I want to actually take on the challenge of, of this. And I'll just jump forward here. Commit to being unoffendable. So it's, it's a word I get for our church always through the last two and a half to three years. Lord, would you make us unoffendable? Church split. COVID changing rules, government, masks, no masks, vaccine, no, no vaccine. Have you been offended? Have you been hurt? Then let's commit to being unoffendable. Doesn't mean we don't have to, to, to feel. Let's feel. We're human beings. Let's process. We'll talk about that in the next message. But let's start with committing to be unoffendable. And the first choice that we can make after that is choosing to forgive. Even without knowing all the steps, we can follow what the Bible says. It's very basic. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For then you will be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends his rain on the just and unjust. For if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's his command. Simple. Love and pray. By your heads. I want to pray for you guys. Lord, all of us have been hurt. 
There is not a soul in here who has not suffered hurt and wounds. Lord, things in this last two years, last three years, Lord, so many of the things that we held on to that were normal, all of our safety nets and security, even church, so many things got upended and changed. And a lot of those changes, Lord, they felt violent and out of control and wrong. And Lord, it hurt us. We feel hurt because of it. We're wounded. And Lord, we've been rejected and treated harshly. And because of that, we're wounded. We've had parents or kids fight with us or disrespect us or not use the right tone. Because of that, we're wounded. But Lord, we recognize that you too were wounded. And Hebrews says you are the perfect high priest because you have been tempted in every which way that we have, but you remained without sin. So today, Lord, we don't know how to forgive. We don't know how to process every pain. We're not professionals. We're just broken human beings coming to the throne and asking for grace. We choose to be unoffendable but declare that we can only live that out by the power of your spirit working in us. You have to do that in us. We can't behavior modify enough to get there. So would you heal us? Would you lead us? Would you deliver us? Would you guard our hearts and minds from the, from the trap and snare of deception in offense? And lastly, Lord, would you draw our hearts in love towards you in worship and praise and in love for those who have heard us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you very much for coming. Maranatha Church, which means, come Lord Jesus, come. Come.